I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Bryce. He has borderline personality disorder. Let's talk about it. Well, um, we're going to be diving into the world of mental health, uh, which I, you know, I'm not tired of it yet. I'm not tired of talking about mental health and mental illness yet. I feel like after eight years, I feel like it's hard to get tired of something that is perpetually still needs a lot of attention and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, discussion around, you know, like it's, and I, and I feel like because, I mean, not to like, not to, not to diverge onto a tangent as quickly as humanly possible, uh, but in, in in something that is like a, from a on a day to day basis is like I feel like your physical health is, is tends to be for a lot of people is like much more stable. Like even if it's not good, it can be stable. Hmm. Whereas mental health, I feel like, has a lot more day to day. Fluctuation. So it's like something that is like constantly in flux or can be constantly in flux. And so therefore constant discussion yeah. is married. Well, well, to that point, Taylor, I believe we're going to be diving into a topic that very much has to do with fluctuations, ups and downs. Um, not only are we going to be talking about borderline personality disorder, but we're also going to be talking about borderline personality disorder with Another man. And that's something we haven't done yet. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited for it. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks for sitting down with us. I'm going to hand the mic to you. Give yourself a little introduction. Tell us and our listeners a little bit about who you are. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Taylor. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's great to be on here. My name is Bryce Cito. I am a man. Um, I go by he, him. And I, uh, so I'm a writer, I am a business executive, I am back in school, I'm doing my MBA, I'm in all these different kinds of like communities. But a big part of, of, uh, of my identity and what I'm being open about now is I am diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I was diagnosed about six years ago. And that was a complete mindfuck. I remember kind of being dragged into the mental hospital at that stage in my life by my, my partner, who's now the mother of my children and obviously the most important person in my life. And just going through that diagnosis process, hearing that term and something I've never heard before, or especially in the context of myself, going through the Google rabbit hole and basically thinking my life was over to now where I can look back six years and, and actually openly, you know, have this discussion and talk about it and realize how important it is to just be like, yo, like I have BPD, and I'm all these other things. And it's just kind of like a thing I have and just be normal about it. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I think that's so important to just normalize it and, and just talk about it and just help others kind of have someone to look up to, to, to help them on their own journeys to mental mm-hmm. health. So BPD, um, we, we've done, I was we were talking about this with Taylor earlier today. 
really early on in the in the life of the podcast, we spoke with a, a, a friend of ours, Lauren, who has BPD. And it was a really like, it was a, a lovely episode, a really lovely conversation, but it was also a very divisive conversation um, because when we published it, there was a lot of people that spoke up who identify, who, who were people who had BPD um, and they were, there was kind of like a, almost like it was like her episode was controversial in the sense that her, the way that she experienced BPD was very different from what a lot of other people who were mm-hmm. chiming in on the discussion around the episode had experienced. And I just thought it was really like kind of interesting and fascinating. And, and it just made me think about like how, whether it's mental health, physical health, doesn't matter. It's all, it, we all experience it in our own unique ways. Um, but I feel like when it comes to borderline personality disorder, when you stack that up on the list of like commonly known mental health issues, like depression, anxiety, I mean, even schizophrenia. I feel like borderline personality disorder is one of those illnesses that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime, isn't super well understood by most people in the general public. But yet when you say depression or you say anxiety, most people go, oh, well, I can like conceptualize that. I have, an, I have a general sense of what that might mean, or I know someone who has depression, so like I'm close to it. So in your own words, can you give us, like maybe there's that person out there listening who goes, yeah, I've heard the term, but like I really have no fucking clue what BPD is. Can you give us like a, an overall, like what is borderline personality disorder in your own words? Yeah, no, that, that's good. And, and you're absolutely right. Like it is controversial, both from, you know, those that have it, but also there's a, a massive amount of stigma with borderline as well, because people with BPD, borderline personality disorder, are no ones who have done a great amount of damage on the people they love. And then that's yeah. part of it, of, uh, of the BPD experience is like, um, you know, being highly emotional in a way that you, you can do damage. Right. And so just to kind of sum it up in the way that I understand it, again, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a specialist, I'm just a dude that has it and has had to deal with it my whole life. Um, but essentially someone with BPD is experiences emotions a lot more intensely. Uh, they, they're a lot more sensitive in a lot of ways, um, to the emotional kind of roller coasters that they go on. So in a lot of, in a, in a lot of aspects, what happens is you'll see people with BPD who will have high emotional responses to situations that may not warrant it. Um, so mm. it needs a lot of kind of regulation and, and, and awareness and understanding to help get through those difficult situations or the other side of it. And, and I think the controversy that you, you, you ended up with Jeremy, where people were sharing their experience to, to not relate, like my experience is probably incredibly unique to other people with BPD. And, and, and I saw this firsthand when I was in kind of group th- therapy, I was in DBT for a year with other mm. people mm-hmm. uh, working on skills. Everyone was diagnosed with BPD and everyone was completely different in their own way. Some people are a lot more external in the way that they're ex- experiencing uh, or displaying their, their emotions and, and their, their, their handling of, of, especially when they're in crisis and then some are a lot more internal. So some people completely shut down because their emotions are so overbearing that they end up just completely, you know, finding ways to distract, um, you know, and that can be lead to substance abuse. It can lead to deep bouts of depression or uh, distance from others um, and just kind of needing to be on their own and hiding from, from those emotions. Mm. And it's interesting because I experienced both. <laughs> so I, I've, I've done, you know, I've done the, the whole distraction substances, finding ways to just, you know, hide or, 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 or uh, soothe those intense emotions. 
And I've also been on the other side of like, okay, my emotions are incredibly high. And I, I deal with this and it fluctuates, right? But um, to then being very intense or overly intense when it comes to emotions. And what's interesting is I think like 95% of the days, like I told you, like I, I, I'm, a, I'm busy, I'm working, I have a lot of stuff, I'm involved with a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are shocked to find out that I have BPD um, because it's, it's uh, in the, your day-to-day life. You're not dealing with high stakes, emotional situations. Mm. Right. So, um, to that, to that point then, like just, just to, that I'm, do you, do you think, I mean, okay. Is this in your own personal experience, have you found that you're, it's more likely that someone who's very close to you is the type of person who's going to be very aware that you have BPD and not like really not be surprised because they're the ones that are, in those positions where they see the the sort of reactions to the emotional stimuli that comes through, whereas, you know, someone that you might see at work from time to time or a client that you work with or whatever, they really don't see the personal side of you. So they're sort of missing out on that aspect. Is that is that kind of why you feel like maybe people are a bit surprised? For sure. 100%. The other thing is like the amount that I care about someone really kind of helps dictate how much my emotions might fluctuate. So like in in my romantic relationship, the stakes are ultimately high because there's, there's love there. There's complex emotions there. Whereas like my client, like I care if we're working together, if it helps advance my career, but I don't really give a fuck about how you see it. (laughs) So it's not gonna like that, like work rejection is not the same to me as, you Mm -hmm. know, romantic rejection, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that has a lot to do with it. And yeah, I think just like we're talking about BPD and in that aspect, Cause it's very intense, but I think in all of our lives, when it comes to mental health, like, you know, it's those that are close, close to us that, that, uh, will know more and will need to kind of be a little bit more aware as to what we're going through. Cause mm-hmm. those are the ones that actually have the awareness to be able to help. Right. That's really interesting. It's a, it's an interesting thought when you said that, that came up for me when you said that in the sense that I think you could probably apply this to like a lot of mental health, um, things that people are dealing with is that the, it, that, that, it, it sounds like in, especially in your, in your case that knowing or being exposed to the sort of, um, um, like symptoms or, um, or like kind of markers of your borderline personality disorder is sort of a mark that, that, that person is important to you. Like that, so you know, there's like the, kind of this this kind of weird. It's like, well, it's like you're kind of you're kind of experiencing this because you're important to me because you mean something to me, and at the exact same time, like you know, so, uh, sometimes I'm sure to their to their detriment because it can be really challenging mm. um, for like for, for for them to handle the relationship or um, experience the relationship in 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 the ways that it's presenting because of because of uh, of of what you're going through, and something that is like that has, um, that came up in a conversation with somebody yesterday, which I'm curious about your thoughts on is, um, I, I ran into somebody yesterday and they were telling me about, um, a relationship with, uh, their partner, um, that had come to an end and it had, it had come to an end because of some substance abuse issues. And, they were they were saying like well, the relationship's kind of over I, but I, I i am still there in like support of them because i really care for them but like the relationship couldn't kind of withstand mm. the issues but like i am still there for them um and 
we ended up having this conversation about like how when you are when you are dealing with a a mental health issue that there's like the individual that's going through it their experience then there's the experience of the person on the other side like maybe the partner and then there's the and then there's the the unit the the like what the relationship as like a as like a coupling is experiencing and how balancing those so that they're all healthy and being taken care of can be like a really challenging thing. And in this instance made, made it so that the relationship actually wasn't, you know, wasn't viable, but like in order to take care of each of them in, individually, yeah. um, no, like, I, I, what are your, what are your like thoughts on that really challenging balancing act? Yeah. I think that's a, a lovely perspective and kudos to your friend for being able to be there through that. Um, I think that you, you, you kind of nailed all those, all those units and everybody that's involved in any relationship. And it's easy to, to talk about like romantic relationship because those are probably our most important relationships and the most intense relationships that we have. But I think that the, the, well, the way through it, and the, this is the relationships in general, but especially with BPD is kind of two things. The first is a level of awareness. Um, and that's, that's my responsibility of just kind of like being aware of the ways that I'm feeling. And the one thing that the people with BPD or at least me specifically, I could speak about is that a lot of times my thoughts don't match reality, right? So my thoughts, like I do something called splitting and this is kind of like a BPD, BPD from phenomenon, which is like, you know, when I'm, when I'm rejected or I have that feeling of abandonment, all of my thoughts about that person will split to be completely negative. Like that's not true. It's just my way of protecting myself to try mm -hmm. to create a defense mechanism or a border because it, that feeling of, of rejection is too intense. Right? So what awareness does, it allows me to kind of sit back and analyze my thoughts as just thoughts and not re reality. And I could be like, okay, so I'm thinking this thought about this person. Is that, is that real? How do we get getting very curious about it and following, yeah. following up on that? Mm -hmm. And it's actually quite helpful because when you raise that awareness, then you get to the next point, which I think is probably the most important thing in relationships, which is communication, right? Obviously that's an obvious one, but in the situation that you're talking about where somebody has an issue like substance abuse or myself with BPD, you know, the way through that and the way to continually build that, that third unit, which is togetherness and connection or, or your relationship in general is through being able to communicate. And, and that's hard. It's hard to be like, Hey, instead of just like, there, there, there's this concept of primary and secondary emotions. I think this is kind of like a, a, a male masculine thing, but especially with a male with BPD, which is like, I rely or I turn to my secondary emotions as my initial instinct, which is like anger or mad or rage, as opposed to my primary emotion, which is like sadness or vulnerability or rejection. Mm -hmm. That primary emotion is so hard as a, as a, as a dude, as an Asian man who was brought up to feel a certain way about myself and masculinity and et cetera, to then be like, the secondary emotion is easy for dudes. Like, it's like, okay, you insulted me. Let's fight. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that primary emotion of being like, Hey, you know what? You know, when you didn't hug me back, it, it hurt. I felt rejected. It felt like you weren't interested in me at the time. Like saying that to your partner is a very difficult thing to do, but that is the key mm. or the path to getting to strengthening that unit, right? And, mm. and having that communication. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this out loud, I'm not always great at it, totally. but that that is literally like, with, with, it's just having that level of awareness to be like, okay, you know, what I'm feeling is not actually, I'm pissed off, I'm mad, I'm all of these negative things. It's actually just me protecting myself because like, I'm hurt. Ooh, and I yeah. need to talk about that hurt because that's how we can connect, not yeah. all of this anger and 
fighting that I want to yeah, do. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm hearing you say that and I'm going, Oh, that's a really great way to think about that secondary emotions and primary emotions. And yeah, we certainly, you I know certainly what, agree that I am, I tend towards the secondary emotions, but like the thing that you said at the beginning there, that, that, um, that brought something up for me. was like the, 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 the idea around awareness, like in, in all of our conversations about mental health, since we've like, since we started doing the show in 2015, and especially back then when I knew what, you know, when I had like basically never had a conversation with somebody about their mental health and was coming at it with these like super, you know, I think like fresh, sometimes fresh and interesting and sometimes naive and stupid, um, observations. Um, but one that not is, anymore though, <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> no, not anymore. So only, only top tier <laughs> observations now. Um, something that has like stuck with me, uh, through that time is something from, um, my, training and experience as a, as somebody practicing yoga and teaching yoga is something in, um, something in Hindu philosophy, which is, um, which is, um, called avidya. And I think that there's like a lot of parallels in psychiatry and psychology, uh, with this. Um, and they go, but, and it goes by different names kind of depending on like what angle you're coming from. But this, 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 this idea, this philosophy of something called avidya, which is the veil of misperception. And it's just like seeing the world, through a, through a, through a veil of misperception. There's like something, there's something in front of you that is allow that is making you experience the, the reality in, in, in a different way than sort of like the shared collective reality or how like most, the, the average person might go, this is how we're experiencing this. And, but because that veil is so close to your eyes, you can't tell that it's there. It's just the way that you're seeing the world. And so how do you set up, and in this philosophy, there's like four or five markers that you set up to, to, to say, oh, this is what I'm experiencing. Like I, if I, so like you said, you get curious when I have that reaction, I get curious and go, can I look for like A, B, C, and D and are one or more of these things showing up? And if they are, then that's signaling to me that I am maybe experiencing this in a way that I need to like reflect more on so that I can engage or react more appropriately than I, than I want to in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that is when I, I always think about that and go like, Oh, why don't we just like set up these markers? But like you said, like it can be very challenging. Like you don't always get there with it. Like how do you, and I think any, everybody can relate to that. Totally. Right. Like that's 100%. It's, when you hear it, when you hear it, you go, "Oh yeah, that's so easy." But then, and then when it happens, someone cuts you off in traffic, or so, I mean, <laughs> this is a little bit different from like BPD, but like someone cuts you off, or your partner does something that like kind of gets on your nerves. It's it's it, it just that fucking info goes. Well, yeah. Nope. Don't yeah. like that. Never registered with me ever. And now I'm going to react. I'm having a reaction. Um, and I think I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I want to say I re I really appreciate you p putting it that way because. Again, like I said earlier, I feel like when people hear depression or they hear about anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, um, people hear about those things. And although they might not have depression, and sometimes this is like for the, for, you know, it, this is, there's, there's sort of like a downside to this in a way, but people who don't have depression hear about someone who's depressed and they go, okay, well, I can conceptualize what that must be like because I have felt sad i have felt down and 
although like that can be looked at and and said and viewed in a way that's not helpful, you know, where they're, you know, they, they, they misunderstand and they go, Oh, well, like go outside for a walk and that'll like, <laughs> you'll be better. In the very least, they have like an understanding of what that, they, they can empathize on what that must feel like something, something like how that must feel. Same with anxiety where it's like, I've had anxieties. So like, yeah, I guess like I can understand what you're going through, but BPD I mean, before this conversation, I was like, I have no fucking idea. I have like, I, I can't relate to that at all. But then I hear you say that and I go, oh, I can relate to that. I understand, yeah. I understand what that experience can be like. It's just for me, it's not disordered. Right. Exactly. It, it, it's not unlike, you know, it's, it's, uh, everything's intersectional, right? Like I'm someone with BPD, but I'm not the, the, the hallmark of everything BPD. I'm a man. I am someone who ha- has had my own issues with or relationship with masculinity. I'm a person of color. All of these, all of, all of these things impact that. And then it's like, okay, here's your cherry on top. It's called BPD. Good luck. Mm. And then it's like, what you're saying and what I go through, it's very much the human experience. It's just that the intensity dials turned up in a lot of ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and then, so that pushes you kind of out of reality a little bit where it's like, Oh, okay. You're reacting like a, like wildly to a situation that is like, I, you know, forgot to put the laundry in the dryer. Like, I'm sorry. Like, but like, you know what I mean? It's just, and, and so kind of going back to, to what you were saying, Taylor, which was about, you know, kind of yoga philosophy and, and just kind of, helping land this. Um, the one thing that I've, I've had to do. And and that's the thing with BPD is like, like we said, it's the human experience. I've just, I just have to, it's like, it's my responsibility to be even more aware, to be even more in control, to be even more focused Mm -hmm. on my mental health because Mm -hmm. I am disordered. Right. Mm -hmm. But so like that concept of like yoga and like the one thing that I've been working through with therapy right now and, and writing a lot about is stillness. It's this concept of just like, sometimes just do nothing because to your point, Jeremy, about like getting cut off in traffic. It's like, I got to chase this person down and kick in his window. It's like, do nothing. Let that emotion, let that wave pass Mm -hmm. and then get curious about it. Where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of time that reaction isn't coming from the thing that just happened. It's coming from what's been happening all week. That's been building upon to where you're at. And so the one concept we we worked, we worked on a lot in, in DBT, which is dialectic behavioral therapy, which literally saved my life being in that program and learning these kind of skills uh, for someone with BPD, which I think DBT skills, everyone should learn. Like I think kids should learn that in kindergarten, to be honest. Um, you know, one of those concepts is just being aware, being very curious about it. And then, and then kind of like just letting it go, like figuring out where it's coming from. And then just being okay with the fact that, you know, I don't need to deal with this right now. I have, it's because of this or because of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's like, awareness is so important for somebody, yeah. somebody like me with, with BPD, but I think it should, it's important for everybody. Right. Is, I, that, is that something, is that stillness? Like, do you, um, I guess like, what is your, what is your success rate with that? And how, and how, how, how do you, how do you work on it in the sense of like, uh, like building it as a habit? Mm. To, to, so that, so that instead of like the reaction being the reaction is that like stillness is the reaction. Cause I assume that's probably the, that's the desire. I'm assuming it doesn't always work out that way, but that would be kind of like the hope is that the reaction to the situation is stillness instead of the like <laughs> reaction. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Um, I, I wish I could tell you it's the biggest thing right now that I'm working on because that's what I struggle with the most. Like, 
the, the one thing I can tell you is in terms of distractions, I've graduated from my distractions being like substances or, or, or poor uh, results on my health to like, now I just overwork. <laughs> I just find mm. other ways mm. that are more healthy. Um, and, and to be honest, it, it, you know, finding distractions like that seems to work quite well for me. Like I'll go for a run or I'll bury myself in a project. Um, but I do know that that is also can be harmful behavior right. instead of dealing with the thing um, directly. I think like the, the practice of mindfulness is very important. And that doesn't mean you need to sit down and, and do a meditation app for 10 minutes a day, which is great if you can do that. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's like focusing on, you know, just your level of presence in the world, right? So one thing that one skill, a DBT skill we work on is, is called one mindfulness, which is literally like when you're doing things throughout the day, just do that thing, right? If you're eating, don't be on your phone, like scrolling, like literally mm. taste your food, be there with your food, right? Like literally like be aware of the colors of the sounds of the tastes of all your senses and how it's engaging with the world. Uh, and just take that all in as mm. opposed to like we're, we're, a, we're a generation of just like, we got to yeah. look at our phones. We got to watch something. We got to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you could just be there, that's a really good first step. And, and even like to your point, Taylor, like when, when something pisses you off or causes a negative emotion, just be there with it. Mm-hmm. Don't respond to it. Just, Notice, right? yeah, yeah. Cause it's like yeah. nine times out of yeah. 10. What about, what about what? when you're taking a shit though? You're, can you yeah. still use the phone when you're taking a you shit? Gotta use your phone Cause man, I gotta, gotta be on my phone when I'm taking so, a shit. So this morning my, my, my phone died and I had to literally just like <laughs> sit there and experience it. And it was, <laughs> bro, that's hell on earth, man. <laughs> favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I mean, first of all, I just want to say, I think um, regardless of whether or not anybody has um, BPD or knows someone who has BPD, this is the type of conversation that I feel like is just valuable for anybody because there are things that we've been covering that is just like, just a part of the human experience that you can, that you, yeah, exactly. Good. Universal experiences that you can apply these sort of like thoughts and, and techniques to your own life and just live a fucking better life. Um, I am kind of curious to dive into a little bit of your own personal story, your own personal experience with borderline. Um, I, I would love to know like what, uh, you're a young man. I'm guessing you're, you know, how old are you? 29? Um, uh, 18. No, I'm uh, uh, 32. 32, okay. Um, so as a 32-year-old man, uh, you tell us about like tell us about the journey of getting the diagnosis. What were like some early signs and symptoms? And what was your journey to like finally get that diagnosis? Did it take a long time? Was it a short period of time? And mm. and like what kinds of experiences did you have where borderline really um really like kind of took a toll on you before you got to that point of diving headfirst into DBT? 
Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I was diagnosed, so I said six years ago, so I guess I was 26 at the time. And I'm someone who, prior to my diagnosis, was, was I was like, I kind of saw myself as like an adventure seeker. So like, I grew up in Saskatoon, that was where I was born and raised in Saskatchewan. Um, and then I moved to Alberta for a couple of years, then I moved to Toronto. And uh, I, uh, I've always kind of had a high tolerance for risk. I would always just like, you know, I do things like I would just travel by myself and like, you know, I moved here, I packed up my car, moved here by myself. I would just would like do things um, without really caring about the consequences. And that would turn into like, you know, probably problem seeking behaviors, like just staying out until six o'clock in the morning with substances and just like fucking around and, and just like finding ways to escape, but not really understanding where that's coming from. Like, what am I running away from? Like, what is what's happening? And then I, I met my 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 partner when I was 26, um, that slowed my di- my life down a lot when you're just like, you're with someone and it's like, okay, this person gets me, we're vibing. And it's like, I don't want to go party anymore. I want to go into those other behaviors. Um, so we started to start to build a life together. We moved in together. Uh, and then something like a life event happened that started to really spiral everything for me. So I quit my job and I, uh, I didn't have anything planned up planned after I quit my job. I was just like, I'm kind of done here. I didn't really like the direction the company was going. Um, I'm just going to go and freelance, help my friends with their ad agencies and just kind of hang out for a bit. I wanted to get into acting. I was really into improv comedy. I got an agent and I was like, I'm going to go do that stuff. And then what ended up happening is I didn't realize that what work was doing for me, like having that nine to five created Mm. stability in my life that Mm -hmm. I kind of needed. Um, It it created boundaries that I kind of needed. And without that, everything became heavier. Uh, it's getting a little abstract, I know, but everything in my life became like it was covered with this like dark cloud. I was I was starting to slip into depression. I was like waking up in the middle of the night with like all these crazy like negative thoughts and like violence and like just my like my head wasn't right. And can, can and I? Do you mind if I just yeah, jump in? Ahead, there? Jump like in. like can, what? Um, can you elaborate on those thoughts? Like like when you were waking up in the middle of the night, you know, are they thoughts of? of like, you know, the way that you see and think about yourself or, or were they, were, were they thoughts of actual people in your life or, or was it just like batshit crazy, just like intrusive thoughts of, you know, whatever, just random violence or something? No, it was all against me. It was all negative self-talk. Like, like my own, I, I think a big part of my work as well was my self-worth was tied to it, my validation without that, I didn't have it. So it was a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of like rumination of just like going down these negative thought loops in my own head of just like how worthless I am. And then that would turn into like self-harm and like, just like thoughts, the violence is like self-violence. It's like, I, I remember just like vividly just picturing a gun in my head and like, like just like just things that would help me escape from that feeling. And so it started to like build upon myself and the way I was handling my life. And I, I remember like one morning pretty vividly, when I like stomp myself and into the kitchen and there's like a big pile of dishes and I'm doing dishes and I'm like slamming them around. I'm just like in a shitty mood. And my partner comes out. She's like, are you okay? And I remember like, just out of my mouth, I was like, uh, I'm trying really hard not to kill myself right now. And then she stopped everything and then took me right to Cam H here in Toronto, the the mental hospital here. And, and uh, that was kind of like the start of my journey to my diagnosis. Now, it's amazing that she did that and that I had a person to kind of like help me from step A to B. Cause I don't know if I would have got there without someone dragging me. Um, and then secondly, I I'm glad that I 
was able to, even as shitty as I said it, like kind of express what was going on in my own head to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then, then I was able to kind of get help and not luckily take action on the thoughts that I was having. So then did I you, ended up in camp. Did, you, did yeah. you protest? Did you pro like when she was like, we're going to CAMH, were you like, fuck, no. no, you were, you were like, yeah, you're, you're right. I, so, I didn't like jump for joy. Like when I take my kids to the Lego store, I was sure, like, sure. I put on my, my flip-flops and stomp my way out of the house and like, just like do whatever you want. Cause I, I was just like helpless at that point. Yeah. And for your partner, was that like zero to a hundred? Mm. Like, was that, oh, was that oh, like, whoa, where did of, that come from? Nowhere. Or was it kind of like an S mm -hmm. like a, uh, like a okay, this has escalated now to the point Ooh. where we need to do something. It's a good question. I think I think it was more like seventy to one hundred. Like I think that she had picked up that I wasn't in a good headspace, and it's easy to chalk yeah. that up to like my life transition and like you know mm. not you know getting out of my job or whatever. And so, um, but I do think that that was the step that she's like, okay, I got to step in and help do something. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I go to Cam H, which was quite an experience, um, because they like patted me down and, uh, you know, looking for like sharp objects and like, stuff to like take out of your pockets and you got to sit in, uh, sit in their waiting room. Um, and I sat there for like two and a half hours before someone came from their crisis clinic, sat with me and then pretty much immediately, you know, I, I, I told, I told her I was open. I was just talking about what I was going through, what I thought, because like at that point I had nothing to lose. I'm like, there, here's a person that's asking me what's going on. And, yeah. and, um, I just blurted it all out and how I was feeling. And she's the one, and I don't know how she, she picked up on it, but she's like, I think you might have BPD. Like there's like, I, I don't know. So she brought in a psychiatrist. They did, did me through, took me through a whole eval and they pretty much diagnosed me on the spot. They gave me a pamphlet that was like, here's what borderline personality disorder is. Wow. Uh, come back in a couple of days and you're going to be meeting with us a couple of times a week. And then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, um, what your mm. next steps are. So what did, was, the, what did the evaluation yeah. look like? Like, was it, um, was it sort of like, like yes, no, that like sometimes, always, never yeah. type questions. Yeah, it was literally like a survey like that, and it was like this really uh, cold psychiatrist who didn't care about me or like anything to do with like you know my state of mind. He just came in with the survey, asked me questions, checked off some boxes, then went back. He's like, okay, well, it's kind of like when you meet with a doctor. It's like your tummy yeah. hurts. It's like okay, feel around, and I'll tell you what's yeah. going on. And then, um, but the the person at the crisis clinic was amazing, and she was super helpful of just helping me feel comfortable to open up, etc. So then. Uh, I went home and like I said before, I kind of went and started just Googling and, 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 you know, if you spend some time Googling borderline personality disorder, it's not pretty. It's usually people yeah. from the other side who have been damaged by people with BPD, which is a, a, a lot. I mean, the emotions that can happen out of that. Um, it's known as like the crazy ex-girlfriend disorder, like that whole, like, mm -hmm. you know, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. Like that's like how BPD is known. Mm. Um, and so there's a ton of horrible stigma. And, and then you start re reading the stats and how, you know, people with BPD are, are more likely to uh, attempt self-harm and be more successful uh, at completion. Um, and the underdiagnosis when it comes to men, like I couldn't, there was no mm. like, uh, there was no like mentor or like role model I could look to that was like me. There's like one guy in the NFL, Brandon Marshall, who came out and said he had BPD and there's Pete Davidson and, you know, Pete mm -hmm. Davidson, right? So um, that's literally it for men in terms of publicly talking about BPD. And so... And I kind of felt a little bit lost, but luckily when I, through my six weeks or whatever it is going through the crisis clinic, they were like, Hey, we got you a spot. They're able to escalate me and get me past the waiting list into their BPD program um, here at CAMH where it was like mm -hmm. a year long program. I met with an individual therapist and they put me in the DVD program. And, um, and then I was kind of off to the races, mm -hmm. but it, the one feeling I just want to mention 
after kind of getting over that initial shock of like, oh my God, my life is over. I have this thing that everybody, there's a massive stigma against. There was, there was also like this sense of relief of like, oh, yeah. that's what I have. And like, and then to me, when that, that relief and like that knowing and then getting the DVD was like, okay, there's a program I can commit to yeah. that can help problem solve the issues mm-hmm. that I have. There's like a, the, I'm, I'm wondering about your, I, I mean, you kind of started to have started to speak on it here, but like something that we have, I'm curious with like your overall experience and like, um, with CAMH in the sense that that is going into a, I know CAMH is, you know, sort of like from, from, from my perspective, I think our perspective here at the podcast is that CAMH is kind of this, like the, the kind of the foremost authority in Canada on mental health and treating mental health and addictions. And, you know, they've, they've really, they've really like put themselves at the forefront of as like leaders in that, in that field. When we have uh, talked to, when we've spoken with people across not only Canada, but the U S and, 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 and the world about mental health issues is that diagnosis is like such a long road. Like Mm -hmm. the average, I think at some point this has probably changed. Hopefully it's changed, but I know that early on when we were doing the podcast, it was something like, you know, to get a, to get a proper mental health diagnosis. Um, this actually might've been for, for bipolar disorder. It was, it was, it was like, specifically for bipolar. It was like seven eight, or eight, eight years, years or something yeah. like that. Like, it's just like yeah. a, yeah. like it can be such a long way. And I think yeah. that, and I, and, and I know that that can be, that story is not unique just to bipolar, but like that, yeah. it can be a long time for a lot of different, um, mental health issues that people go through to, to like finally arrive at a diagnosis that's like solid and clear and yeah. actionable. And not to mention to the gender element to that, mm-hmm. right? Where I feel like, um, not to not to like stereotype it, but like I feel like men typically have a a bit of a longer process of trying to get diagnosed because because the reason I asked you the question of of you know when your partner was like we're going to fucking Cam H if you protested is because that's probably what I would have done. I would have been like oh, fuck no, I mean no, it's like, like I don't want to I don't want to fucking you know. Again, like when mm-hmm. you come down to that sort of math, the, you're, the ways that we've been brought up to view masculinity, to view, the, to view vulnerability as a weakness, like those are things that are going to get in the way of you receiving a prior, proper diagnosis of something that has to do with your mental health. And that if you go there, not, not, not to CAMH, because I think that's probably the exception to the rule, um, but like if you, if you went to, a, if you went to an, an emergency room, uh, like yeah. just a general hospital, mm-hmm. that... Being a man, bipolar is probably, sorry, uh, borderline personality disorder is probably quite a ways down the list. And I'm thinking of the way that, you know, if you are, um, uh, you know, before for cystic fibrosis, Jeremy lives with cystic fibrosis, before before newborn screening was universal, Yeah. if you were, uh, if you're black, yeah. Being screened for cystic fibrosis was why like, the fuck would like, we do that? Like, that's a white. It's like, it's that's like, a yeah, white exactly. Disease. It's like yeah, black yeah. people mm-hmm. don't yeah, get yeah. cystic yeah. fibrosis, so why would we screen them for that? Right. And so I feel like uh, borderline personality disorder probably has there's a lot of crossover there in terms of screening for bipolar uh, borderline personality disorder in men because it's so it's so commonly associated with females. Right. And yeah. so like that's just it's something that can go underdiagnosed strictly for that reason. For for sure, I honestly don't believe that. 
um, the incidence of BPD is higher than our general population among women. I just think women are more diagnosed than men. That's I, right. I think right. Yeah. 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 And I think you guys have nailed it. I was, you know, there's a massive element of luck and fortune that I received just right place, right time. They happen to have that program well-funded when I went and that's funding has been cut. I don't want to get political, but that's another thing that's happened. So it's even harder for people to get diagnosed and have the resources. But, um, but I do recognize that. Yeah, I did. I did make a choice, which was opposite to everything that I was feeling, which was to be honest. And by being honest with where I was, my behaviors, my thoughts, um, with the right people, it allowed me to, to get that diagnosis and to, to, to kind of get that help. But, um, that's not an easy thing for people to do. And you also have to be quite aware of who and where you're allowed to be honest about those kind of thoughts. Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, can we go down the road of like, um, talking about your experience with BPD from like a cultural standpoint, um, so you're, I mean, people listening to this can't tell, but you're an Asian man. Um, and you kind of mentioned it earlier that there's, you know, at, at least culturally from like your perspective as an Asian male, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, well, I, I guess I'll let you put it in your words. Like how, how culturally, how is something like BPD viewed in the Asian community, especially for like Asian males? Yeah, BPD is not viewed at all in the Asian community, um, and it's because it's all bucketed under like the the, the aspect of mental health. Um, and in Asian culture, and specifically when it comes to mental health, it's uh it's very it's very dismissed. Uh, there's a there's a certain amount of stigma. It's not something that's a priority in in Asian uh, communities. It's um you know your priority should be to you know go to school, get a good job. Um, not on being sad all the time, like just yeah. get over it. It's kind of yeah. like the the mindset. And I've, you know, my, my dad's Chinese and, and that's kind of like, you know, when I have three brothers and that was kind of always my experience growing up, which was like, you know, just like, why are you being a baby? <laughs> like, get over it. Like there's shit to do, go do your shit. Um, and, and, and that's not just my experience. So, you know, on that, uh, I started a fund, I co-founded a fund this year. Uh, with uh, with my business partner Madeline, who runs the Represent Asian Project, which is a, a media uh, publication that is just about helping you know bring light to the representation of Asian across media, and uh, her and I came together to start the Blossom Fund, which is a fund that we're raising um, for Asian Canadians to get access to mental health. So the the, the there's kind of three main three parts to it. The first part is the fund itself, which is to pay for help for Asian Canadians, and and one thing. In, in our community as well, in the Asian community, that people don't realize is that um, there's a lot of financial barriers uh, for Asians um, in general. Like or unemployment or underemployment for Asians in Canada is a lot lower than it is for the general population. Um, that's something people don't realize because they think Asians are doctors or you know they're all you know getting higher education. Um, the second part of the, the the Blossom Fund is really about what I'm trying to do here, which is stories and helping tell those stories to raise awareness and normalize it across our communities. Because like what I said before, um, there was no one I could look to that looked like me or, or had a similar experience as me uh, that had BPD or, or was openly talking about it. So one thing that we're trying to help accomplish is just to take people across our culture to help amplify those stories and those voices, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of power in stories. There's a lot of power in, you know, helping normalize it and just talking about it. I mean, you guys know, right. Um, 
So that's, that's the second part. And the third part is resourcing. Um, so kind of touching on what you guys were mentioning when it came to getting to a diagnosis and that dismissiveness when you end up in the ER and they're like, here, take this pill and, you know, fuck off. It's really about um, how do we get people that are culturally competent, that understand the, the generational trauma and the experience as an Asian Canadian, um, link them up with the right people that need help um, so that, you know, they're, they're able to to talk about these issues in a safe space in a space of understanding, right? Because uh, a big part of the experience when it comes to mental health is that journey to find a therapist that gets you is a long, painful process for a lot of people, right? So we want to help. How do we help shorten that gap for people? That aspect of that aspect of like talking about it and becoming comfortable with talking about it. I mean, it's just like, again, back to the very first thing that came out of our mouths when we started uh, this conversation is like, we don't stop talking about it because it's not because the most important part is to keep talking about it Yeah, is to keep like flexing that muscle. And, you know, going back to the conversation that I had with this friend I ran into in the park yesterday, it's like I had, they, 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 they brought this, they brought this thing up. That's like gigantic in their life. And like really something that's really tough they felt like they could talk about it, and I felt like I could hear it. Did they and bring like, it up like right at the moment where you were like, "Well, look at the time. I'm gonna." Uh, it was nice to see you. And then they went, "Yeah, actually, you know what? Hold on, though. Uh, I got a, I got a crazy story." Yeah, no, no, no. It was, a, it was right at while the you were was... stepping back to walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Running after yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, I want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I, and I, I actually, I actually did. I walked away from that from that interaction going. I feel so, I feel really grateful that I am somebody that they felt like they could talk to about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very grateful that they are someone who feels like they can talk about it yeah. to, to anybody, yeah. that they can bring it up and not only in, not own, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to this to sound like, I don't mean to sound this any other way, but like that it doesn't it's not only reserved for a therapist or it's not only reserved to like your closest confidants that we can have, if appropriate, if you feel appropriate, you Mm. feel comfortable, we can have like open conversations about Mm -hmm. challenging shit that we're dealing with. Yeah. 100%. And that's a big step for me. Like, like I said, I was diagnosed six years ago. It took me like years to be able to just fully own it as a part of my identity. And like, now I'm at a place where like, yeah, I'll be in the office and I'll be like, yo, I have BBD, blah, blah, blah. And like, and, and it opens up different kinds of conversations. Cause like, who gives a shit? Like, this is who I am. I'm bringing my whole self to the table. A big thing that's helped me in the spirit of sharing was writing. Right. And then that's kind of doing two things for me is we talked a lot about awareness. And for me, the writing process and being able to like put down my thoughts or, uh, you know, my, my, the way I think about things or where I'm at, et cetera, has been super helpful to help me be more aware of where I'm at and my feelings. And the second part has allowed me like to share. And so like, I have a, a newsletter that I put out a couple times a week and I'm literally just like talking about things that I've learned in DPD. I'm talking about my diagnosis. I'm talking about just my experience. Um, and then I sprinkle in family shit and business stuff and I make stupid jokes and blah, blah, blah. But I'm really just, just trying to just talk, like just mm-hmm. openly just share, uh, because I think it's important. Like there's, there's not enough of that happening. There's not yeah. a lot enough of people just being like, yo, like, mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of sharing and talking and being open, I would love to, um, there's, there's two things that I want to like be able to touch on before we wrap here. Um, and I'm just looking at the time, be just being like mindful of our time. Um, but 
One is I, I really want to talk to you about your experience in managing and living with BPD whilst also parenting two children. Um, but but before that, I I um, we've mentioned DBT a number of times. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, from what I gather, DBT very specifically is is um, one of the very few things that people living with BPD can rely on for uh, like an effective style of treatment, correct? It's, yeah. Is there, is, is there medication that can be taken or is it more so like meds aren't, we're not really at a point yet where meds have really kind of figured it out. So DBT is the way we, we, we place the focus. Yeah. My understanding and what I was told was that medication is not helpful for people with BPD. Yeah. Um, sometimes people who have BPD will be on meds because there might be overlapping diagnosis. Um, yeah. it's very common that that'll happen, yeah. but I've never had meds in relation to my mental health. Okay. So DBT is, um, can you walk us through it? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a style of group therapy, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, it's behavior therapy. Um, where you, where you take, uh, specific skills and you go really deep on them to learn. So the first thing that the first skill that we really learn and we do it in every class, which is called is mindfulness, right? So it's just bringing everybody to be present, helping everyone, you know, be aware and, and just being incredibly mindful. And then you get into, I think there's four or five modules that you go really deep on. Um, there's things like interpersonal, uh, effectiveness skills. So how, how do you, uh, you know, be stronger when it comes to your own interpersonal relationships. So you get into things like, uh, there's like a matrix that you start to fill out to become hyper aware of like, okay, so this is a relationship. What am I more, what, 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 what do I care about with this relationship when it comes to this issue? Do I care about the relationship? Do I care about the, the problem? Do I care mostly about myself? And then you can start to like use those skills in real life. It's like, okay, so I'm talking to a client. I don't really care about the relationship, but I do want to kind of win this business. So I'm going to focus on that. And if I lose the relationship, that's fine. But then when I'm talking to my partner and we're arguing about, you know, the type of vegan cheese that we're going to buy and I'm getting mad about it, it's like, okay, the vegan cheese is more important than my partner. Probably not. Right. But mm -hmm. it's, it's a good skill to learn because, you know, when you're being hyper emotional, I think everybody goes through this, but with BPD, like I said, the intensity is dialed up. Mm -hmm. You can start to lose the plot. You can start to be like, okay, the most important thing in the world is this type of vegan cheese. And I just got to win this fight. And it's like, well, you know, mm -hmm. let's step back and mm -hmm. use some skills. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one of it. Uh, emotion regulation is a big one. So, and we talked about this Taylor a little bit about like, how do you, you know, be still or calm down when your emotions are at the most intense. So a lot of that is like getting out of your head and into your own physical body. Like they literally tell you things like go have a cold shower or hold ice, like cool down your actual temperature of your body hmm. first, and then it'll change your thoughts or your approach to things. Right. So you start to learn about, um, you know, different kinds of ways that you can just regulate, uh, your emotions, um, Etc. Etc. Is that, et cetera, is that yeah, like a? Ahead. Is that like a, like that that idea of like getting out of your getting out of your head and into your body, um, grabbing ice, taking a cold shower, whatever it might be. Is that like a? Is the idea behind that that it kind of like it just it just like breaks the rhythm? Like it it just like it just it you're you're, you're on a path and then and that shock of something like the feeling of ice in your hands just kind of like breaks your concentration on being so wrapped up in maybe the, like the emotion that you're, or the thought that you're having in your head. One, 100%. I think, I think a lot of it is, um, there's this, this concept that we learn a lot about, and I think human beings in general will get hung up on it, which is like this, this idea of willfulness. So you're caught in a fight 
and you just become incredibly willful, like resistant to changing your stance on that fight, right? And 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 that can take you down uh, to a really ineffective path. So what the the changing of your temperature and your physiology will do is will help break down that wall of willfulness that you've created to be a little bit more willing. So it's like how do you turn willfulness into willing, which is essentially like breaking down that wall where you're closed off to your state of mind and and, and your stance to then being more willing to openness and connection, right? Which is, you know, it's like, okay, so, you know, like, I don't like, I'm so willful that I need to win this fight about vegan cheese. But now that I'm changed the physiology, I can literally like reevaluate, like you said, and be a little bit more open to the conversation that we're actually having. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The relationship. yeah like, like getting yourself out of like a one track or like mm-hmm. a, into, into a rut of thought. What does the, exactly. um, uh, I'm trying to just like conceptualize what the, what the therapy looks like, you know, it, like I, I picture in my mind what I would picture like a, an AA meeting to be where people are sitting in a circle, there's like time to share. And then there's time to listen to the person sort of, uh, leading the session to, you know, give you things to, to think about or work on. Um, how does it, is it like that? Or is it, or is it more like a class or like, how, what's the, how, what does it look like? At least your, your experience. Uh, yeah, I've never been to AA, but I would I would assume it's quite similar to that, and also kind of a classroom. So you actually do get a booklet with homework um, huh. at at the start, and cool. so the the idea is you with 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 each module that you're going through, it's like a series of uh, a worksheet that's a series of questions that you have to work on throughout that week until your next class. So it's like literally like you know writing down the times that you used interpersonal effectiveness um, in 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 that week, so that you can come back to class and then like like you said. Uh, the idea is that you have to share it. You have to share kind of the skills and people will comment on your, on, on, on it. And, and then, yeah, there's a facilitator there that literally will help, you know, guide the discussion, um, throughout. So yeah, it's very like that. It's very structured. Um, but it's, it's a place for everyone to be open and to be open about it. And there's something quite powerful about hearing other people's stories. Like it's very validating, you know, you're not suffering alone and you can really start to hear, you know, one of my, one of the best moments is like when you see people who, we're struggling moving into a place of like, Oh shit. Like, you know, last month that person was not able to talk to their boss about getting a raise. And that was like a big distress part of their life. And then this month they actually went and had that conversation and it went successful. It's like, like the amount of pride and like inspiration you get from that is incredible. That's that's really neat. It's, I mean, it is like when I, when I first heard about DBT, I was just, I was just really taken aback about by, by the whole structure of it and, and just thought like, wow, what a, I mean, I know it's, I know it's different from CBT or like, you know, most any other type of therapy, but I, I feel like I would really love like a group therapy, you know, like if I was going to go to therapy, my own personal therapy, I feel like group therapy would be really, I mean, honestly, really like just, you know, you're, 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 you're in a group setting. It's like, you feel, you don't feel alone. You, I don't know. It just it just seems really like supportive and 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 when we met valuable. When we, Jeremy and I met at a yoga teacher training in Brazil, like a, over like twelve years ago, and I at the time was like a, a very um, a very sort of um, like closed off, very like egotistical sort of uh, mentality. Um, like coming off of a, a bully. Sp- he was a bully coming off, yeah. of a, coming off of a sports, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, giving off strong bully vibes. 
<laughs> coming off a sports career, you know, like very kind of like stereotypical masculinity. Mm. Um, and, and we sat down at that teacher training in a circle. Oh yeah. And like yeah, I right. discovered in that, in that experience of doing that teacher training, like how to yeah. share, yeah, like how to just yeah. like share just simple stuff and to, you know, to, to say that out loud in front of people and then to also hear that other people are going through very similar things or feel very similarly to the way that you do. Like it's invaluable. Mm. Um, yeah. It's it, like, I mean, you know, when I heard about DBT, it just made, it made me think of like grade school, mm-hmm. you know, like you're going through this process where you are learning about yourself, you're learning about the world, but you're doing it with a bunch of your peers and it's, you know, you're all in it together. And there's and, something really supportive about that. And, and maybe like, you know, probably more effect. I mean, obviously more effective. Mm. It's so impactful, especially as an adult, because like you said, like you'd love to be a part of that. Like as adults, when do we get a chance to sit back and share? I went through this thing last, you know, on Wednesday that made me really sad and just mm-hmm. talking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not a thing that we do. And in such a, a supportive world, the other um, major skill that you learn and it's kind of like life skills. And that's kind of why I went back and I said, like, everyone should learn DBT is like, um, it's distress tolerance, but in a way that is like, how do you set yourself up to be more resilient when it comes to handling your emotions? So a lot of that is very simple stuff, like literally like, you know, creating good habits, making sure that you're sleeping, making sure that you're dealing with any kind of physical or, 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 um, any, any, any ailments, um, eating properly, you know, exercising, et cetera. Like you literally learn that in DPD. And then the next thing, which has been very helpful for me, and I use this all the time, which is coping ahead. So it's literally like understanding, okay, so I have a really important meeting this Thursday. I'm going to be pretty vulnerable leading up to that meeting. Mm. Um, it's going to be really stressful. What are the things that I need to set up in my life to make sure that I'm going to be okay before the meeting and during the meeting happens. And then afterwards, what do I need? How do I set up my life so that I can just self-soothe, mm. take off my work and like, just make sure that I can like be okay after I went through that hard thing. And so that mm. could be like practicing coping ahead for an important meeting or, or, or a really difficult conversation with your partner about money or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's an incredible skill that I learned to just, you know, help set up your life to deal with difficult conversations. Now talking about a, you know, a, an illness that, um, you know, the way you put it is like your, your emotions are just, you know, the reactions, the way you you react with emotions are kind of jacked up. The dials turned up just a little too far. How the fuck does parenting feel while living with BPD? Because I mean, like, you know, when I, I, I'm not, I don't have a kid, but when I see people with kids, with children, you know, my sister would be an example. Being a parent, especially to more than one child at once, it can be stressful. And there's a lot of emotions that come with that. And so I can imagine that that's been a bit of a learning curve um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, always evolving, especially as these children are growing and evolving and, and, and changing on a, you know, on a, on like a monthly basis. So what does, what does borderline personality look like for you as a parent and how has it kind of affected your parenting? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think of it like, you know, we're talking a lot about the issues that BPD causes and, and, uh, how do you get through that because of all the, and it is, it's a disorder and there's something that you have to deal with. And that's my responsibility to deal with, but there's also like, I get to experience life a lot differently than other people as well. And I think there's a lot of, 
a lot of positivity in that, like that intensity. So like the amount that I love my kids is insane. And it's like, I, 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 I like, I remember when I, uh, I was first kind of going through therapy and it's probably similar to what you were saying, Taylor, I come from, I played sports. I come from a very masculine environment. I, uh, I, I handled my emotions very much by like disassociating from them. So I remember like in therapy, we were literally trying to relearn how to cry. So she would come in with like all these sad things that I'd have to like watch and content to consume to like reaccess that, that feeling of sadness because I pushed it Whoa. so far out of myself that I couldn't access it anymore. Wow. But then I had kids and now I cry all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. they've like reopened myself emotionally in a way that I'm so grateful for that, um, mm. that, that intensity that I have with them. I wasn't able to prior to them. And, uh, and that's, that's honestly, it's amazing. Like that, that the highs are very high. Now it's also kind of made me realize, you know, when you bring kids into this world, it heightens your level of responsibility in this world. And, and, you know, you know, a lot of us deal with that. Like, you know, I have kids, I got to really make sure that financially we're set or, you know, that our house is in order or whatever. Um, but for me, it also means that I need to kind of be emotionally set. I need to make sure that I'm doing the work to be the best, most present, uh, most stable father that I can be to them. Mm-hmm. So like they're acting very much, um, whether they know it or not, as like that level of inspiration that I need to do that work on myself. It's, it's heightened that responsibility for me. So like, you know, I got to make sure that the work that I'm doing or, you know, if I'm using negative coping mechanisms or distracting, like I got to cut that shit out because, you know, I'm literally living my life for them. And so it's really kind of kicked my ass to be like, okay, you know, I got to do more. I got to, I got to make sure that I'm going into therapy. I got to make sure that I'm, I'm just openly sharing about stuff. I got to make sure that I'm, you know, trying to have a better impact on the world because I've brought them into this world. Right. Mm So now I think what you're asking wasn't that you're asking about how do I manage kind of the day to day of it. And I think it's the same advice and Taylor, I know your parent, which is just like, fucking you got to do it <laughs> just everything's in my house is a yeah. mess yeah i got my camera perfectly angled so you can't see the floor in my living room and like <laughs> it just you just have to do it and and, and i'm, I'm luckily, luckily i have a partner that knows about my disorder like when i went through dbt as well they had like family therapy so she actually got to go and learn about it from a partner perspective as to okay so this is what mm. your partner has and and really like she learned dbt skills as well um, just so that we could practice together during during the time that I was in the program and separate, so like they they did that with her separately without you there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so she wow. had a different a wow. different night where she had courses. Huh. Um, so she really learned all the ins and outs about DBT and has been very committed to to doing the work as well with me. And so uh, it's allowed us to to kind of be very aware as to what's going on and what it is that we need. And like and yeah. it's, it's I think every partnership, like it's not like. You know, you know, she has ADHD and she has all this other stuff that she brings into the relationship as well. So that's my responsibility to then like understand what she needs and what she wants and how do we balance all that together. There's but, something um, about like there's something about um I am getting the sense by how by the way that you said that you that you um feel at least sort of similarly to this, but like there's something that I there's something about things that just need to be done that I find instead of making life, I mean, not all the time, but instead of making life feel more complicated, actually make life feel more easy, even though they like add to the task list. Cause it's like, cause it's like there, it's like, you gotta do it. It's like, I gotta, I have the kid. Like I can't not do the things that the kid needs. Like there's not even a question. It's not even an option. It's just, 
But then again, I'm going to push back a little bit because the other day you were complaining about how when you take it, when you got to pee, it's just, it just gets in the way of your day and you just wished you could pee into the bucket next Peeing to the next and, to, and, 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 and you know it's I like wish I could just, you I gotta could, do it I wish I could automate those tasks I didn't have to go to the bathroom <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to make food yeah yeah no but that's because it's for me but when it's somebody oh, so, okay. else oh okay okay when it's okay. somebody else right. it's like that that makes it easier so changing the diaper of pee that's different <laughs> right that's right, right. Yes. it's not your pee that's not my pee when it's somebody else's pee it's easy I <laughs> right. just gotta do it right yeah <laughs> no, no you nailed it like and there's something about like the importance of tasks and things that you're doing you just figure it out and I feel like being a parent really pushes you to the brink of your capability. Like you're literally like for the first couple of years, you're sleeping three and a half hours at night. If you're lucky waking up throughout the night, but you're still doing a bunch of shit. Like I find, like I said, I'm in school, I'm an executive. I have two kids. I'm writing twice a week. I'm, I have a nonprofit. Like there's all these things that I have on my plate, but I don't feel overwhelmingly busy. Like I've had to make sacrifices. I don't have a social life or friends anymore, but that's fine. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of figure out how to move the chessboard around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my mental health is just part of that chessboard. Like I need to make sure that I'm making time for that mm-hmm. and just organizing it and, 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 you know, managing it as well. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing that borderline personality disorder has taken away from you? Oh, good question. Um, what has it taken away from me? I think it's taken away uh, my ability to have what I would say like are normal relationships. So like, it's very hard for me to have uh, a lot of close friends. Like I don't have like a network of like, you know, a ton of close friends because, because relationships are just hard to manage when you have BPD. So I have like, you know, I have my partner who is like um, my like person. And then I have a bunch of acquaintances and other friends that are part of my network. But, um, but that's one thing that I am kind of jealous of. Um, even like with my family, like I'm not super close with my family either. And I think a big part of that is just because of, you know, mm-hmm. how difficult that is for me to, to manage and feel that closeness to other people. Like, like I said, there's something about BPD, which is very black and white. It's either hundred percent or it's zero percent. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find that middle ground is like a job in and of itself. And I feel like that has taken away my ability to do that. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Uh, a perspective of the world that I wouldn't be able to have otherwise. And that's, that's honestly a gift for a long time. I thought that it was something I needed to hide, but I am really now that I've owned it. And now that I'm open about it, like I'm excited about the opportunities this is presenting for me to be, um, an Asian man talking about it openly and being able to spread awareness without it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to be as much of an advocate as, as, as I am. And, uh, and through BPD, it allows me to, like I mentioned before, feel things in a, in a different level. And that comes out, it comes out of my writing and my way of talking to people in conversations. Like I can have really deep discussions with people that, um, my level of emotions allows me to have. And I think that's because of BPD. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, I gotta say, Bryce, this is uh, this has been a really, really wonderful conversation, and um, you, you know, you, you, you're great. You're a great uh, communicator when it comes to what it is that you've been through, and um, I, considering we haven't like touched on BPD in quite a while, I'm really grateful that we did today, and in particular, did with you. Um, 
I just, I really like, I, I think this was a phenomenal conversation and, uh, yeah, just thank you so much for being willing to sit down with us and take time out of your schedule to give us some insight into your life and what you've been through, because it's been, it's been really interesting. And, uh, and I think that, uh, for anybody out there who like, you know, knows someone who's struggling or, or just recently received maybe like a diagnosis of borderline, I think this is a conversation that can exist out there for someone to listen to and go, Oh fuck this. There's, it's not all just like gloom and doom. There's, there's a way to manage this. And, and so, yeah, just thank you so much for, for being willing to sit down and chat with us about it. No, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you guys are doing and, and, uh, you know, your level of awareness on a lot of different kinds of illnesses and issues, especially as, as dudes just talking about it and, and creating a space for people to, to have these conversations. So it's a, it's an honor to be a part of this. And, um, yeah, for anybody that, that kind of wants an ear to lend to, or to hear a little bit more of my story, if I can be helpful at all, like feel free to reach out Instagram or my website, whatever. Yeah. I mean, please plug away. How can people find you? How can people, um, you know, get involved with, uh, Blossom if, they, if they're interested in helping out? Yeah. So personally, you can find me on Instagram at Bryce Cito. So at B-R-Y-C-E-S-E-T-O, um, my, my website, which is my newsletter, which I'm writing about twice a week, um, a lot about uh, mental health and, and just the overall kind of like uh, experience. I'm, I'm writing a book right now um, called cool. Generation Fucked about our specific millennial generation, how fucked we are, but kind of from my own perspective of trying to be funny about it and, and just like capture some of these moments about work and the housing crisis and family relationships. So, um, I'm previewing that on my website, which is bricecito.com, B-R-Y-C-E-S-E-T-O.com. Um, and then the Blossom Fund, uh, you can find the website that, uh, blo- the blossomfund.org. Um, and there you'll find a lot of, uh, we have a lot of stats on, uh, Asian mental health, um, stories that we're sharing, uh, and, uh, and you can, you can donate, you know, we're, we're in our, our, uh, our, our raising phase as, as we're, we've just launched and, and, um, we're in our fundraising phase as, you know, we're putting together a lot of content to share those stories. Uh, we've brought on a lot of amazing sponsors like TikTok and Paris Jewelers and a lot of individual people who are supporting the cause. And we're so grateful for that, but, um, yeah, we're excited to see where that takes us and, uh, and, um, you know, seeing the impact that we can have for our, our community. Mm, very cool. Well, thanks dude. This has been a real treat. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. 
That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.